0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
2: Welcome to a new episode of the New Books Network. My name is Victor Monin, and today I have the pleasure of uh, welcoming uh, Anna, Annalisa Verda, Professor Emeritus of Biology at San Diego State University, to talk about a book she co-authored with Professor Susan Turner, honorary research fellow at the Department of Geosciences at the Queensland Museum in Australia. And the book in questions uh, is uh, Rebels, Scholars, Explorers, Women in Vertebrate Paleontology, which retraces uh, the multiple contributions made by women in uh, vertebrate paleontology since the 18th century until uh, today. So, Professor, thank you so much uh, for joining me today. And uh, before we start delving into the book, I always like to uh, go back to the origin of the book itself. And so I, I would like you to, um, if you don't mind, share with us some of the reasons and, and motivations behind uh, this, uh, this book on women in vertebrate paleontology and how you came to collaborate with uh, Professor Susan Turner as well on this project.
1: Sure, Victor. Um, well, I, was, I had just retired from uh, San Diego State University, where I had been for 32 years, And um, it had come to my attention that there really wasn't a book about the history of women in uh, vertebrate paleontology. And just so your readers know, vertebrate paleontology is the study of the remains of backboned animals. So this includes bones, teeth, um, footprints, and usually people that go into vertebrate paleontology um, have a familiarity or background in um, biology as well as geology right? Because you find the fossils within the rock, uh, rock deposits. Um, and you describe and identify those fossils and perhaps maybe you're looking interested in the ecology or the habitat of the animals, all of those, those sub areas are incorporated within, uh, within the field. At any rate, um, I had thought it would be, um, worthwhile to, um, document the contributions of women in the field. And of course, I had heard about a number of women, and I just decided to start researching it. And when I began researching it, I came across Susan Turner's name. Um, she had written about women um, in the geosciences, so not it, that includes, of course, paleontology as well as geology. And I thought she would um, make a great addition because she would have some a, a different perspective, and also she was um, she was in Australia, so she offered even you know a different Uh, background and orientation than I did. So uh, we proposed the book to Johns Hopkins Press, and this was back in 2018, I believe, and um, they were very enthusiastic about the book. And then at the annual meeting, um, we have uh, every year a meeting of vertebrate paleontologists, the Society of Vertebrate Paleontology, which is the largest, you know, worldwide organization of paleontologists. Includes probably 2,400 um, paleontologists. Uh, In any case, we decided to interview um, about 18 women. And so we produced a series of videos that you can get on YouTube about these women. And we also incorporated them in the book itself, which in the book, sort of begins with an introduction to the field and then talks a little about different paleontologic organizations and the role of women in these groups. And then it looks chronologically at the contributions of women from the 18th century to now. And then at the very last chapter, discusses some of the challenges that um, women have faced, challenges regarding pay and equity, um, work conducting Work in the field, harassment issues, all this, these sorts of things, and how women have um, overcome these challenges and gone on to be uh, successful in the field. And we really wanted this to be something we would pass on to um, future generations, so they knew um, about our history as a as a uh, organization.
2: I, I feel like I, I, you you started with this remark that um, apart from this book. Uh, that you ju- that you that you published uh, with Susan Turner, that there really isn't any other uh, broad over- overview of the place of women in vertebrate paleontology. Um, there are some biographies of uh, very famous figures like Mary Anning, for example. Uh, but when you think about in in general the traditional history of paleontology has obviously been focusing mainly on men, and there are a lot of Heroic male figures in vertebrate paleontology, like Georges Cuvier, William Buckland, Richard Hohen, uh, George Simpson, etc. Uh, so, and, and even today, uh, the vertebrate paleontologists that usually appear in the press are most often men. Uh, and I, I, I suspect it proved extremely challenging, maybe, to gather information about these these women in vertebrate paleontology. So, could you maybe give us a sense of how that research process went through. I mean, your book presents so many different women, but also what we get to see, and what's very interesting, I think, while reading the book is that we seeing a whole lot of new information, but also we seeing a, a lot of gaps in those uh, biographies that you're trying to reconstruct. Sometimes we don't even know the dates of birth, or um, or there, there's a, also a very interesting aspect of the book, which is both its um, it's richness of new information, but also the information that is still not there, that remains to be recovered. So could you give us a sense of, uh, you know, what was your your fact-gathering process uh, with Susan Turner?
1: It was really quite challenging. I mean, there have been um, uh, a lot of uh, articles about British uh, vertebrate paleontologists, just... just so we, we were able to reference um, articles describing their contributions. And then, you know, there have been various books talking about women in science. And so we knew uh, we had that background as well. And you're right. It, it, is, it, was, it was very uh, much a male-dominated field. And women were always present, but they were, they were present in a background role. Um, So that they, at the time, you know, many women early on were not university educated. So they were collectors of fossils. They were artists. And then they would bring them to their husbands or their male colleagues uh, who would describe, you know, scientifically describe uh, the material and then it would get published. But they were, oftentimes they were not, the women were not even acknowledged for their contributions. Although, as I said, they they, uh, especially Mary Anning, perhaps the best known of these very early uh, uh, British vertebrate paleontologists. She made uh, amazing discoveries, and uh, she sold. Uh, she and her mother actually to to get extra money sold fossils, and they were purchased by different individuals at the time, um, and uh, turned over to museums and things. But it, you know, women were kind of in the background for a very long time, and. Um, They continued to make discoveries and things. As time went on, um, they became, you know, as they became university educated and their contributions became uh, recognized, especially, you know, in the 19th century. Now, the society itself um, formed in the 1940s. And from that point, you know, early on, there were very few women, you know, presenting papers at the meeting and then gradually that number has has increased. Although still today, um, there you know when you look around, there are not that many women um, uh, in the field. It's increasing, but I guess that's what I would say. The increase in number of women has been slow. It's increased more more rapidly, you know, in the last ten years. But before that, it was just kind of a very slow increase. So, th- so
2: how? How did the search come about in terms of information? Did you uh, did you locate specific uh, archives that uh, proved to be very uh, wealthy in in information, or was it also a lot about? I, I it seemed to be that maybe a lot of this information maybe came from uh, just meeting people who had the same interests uh, as uh, as you and and Susan Turner, maybe, and giving you new insights on the whole. I've heard about maybe this, uh, this uh, women who contributed in the field in such way, and this led to new leads. I, I'm really interested in how, how that came about, how this gathering. No, of information we, I mean came these, about. some of
1: these women, there had been a little bit written about them. They had published papers and things. so we could actually do you know searches on them and discover their. Um, also, I, I spent uh, several weeks at the Smithsonian. Washington, D.C., because that's where the Society of Vertebrate Paleontology has archives. And so I spent time going through the archives, and I was able to research um, women that were members of the society. And I could, you know, I could, with that, I could go back to the 1940s, and some of these women were, uh, well, several of the women were presidents of the society, so there was correspondence back and forth. I could read letters. So I was at least able to do that, and Susan Turner had... Uh, a background where and and information about many of the um, she's a fish paleontologist and as it turns out many of the women that were in, interested in fish paleontology were from China and also from Russia and so she had already uh, looked into the or had the names of uh, women that we could you know find out more information about.
2: I see, and uh, so. What what a feature that's interesting about the book is um, that it's obviously a, a, I would say a, a series of all uh, sorts of biographies of, uh, but um, also it's a, this series is organized though chronologically, and I think you're trying to also provide a sort of um, a framework to historically understand the uh, progression and uh, uh, the, the evolution of the place of women in vertebrate paleontology. Would you mind maybe like uh, giving us uh, a sense of what are the major steps or uh, how you've organized chronologically these biographies? What were the, the, uh, well, I the think turning points?
1: Yeah, as I mentioned before, women started out uh, in the 18th century and the, the earliest women were collecting fossils or they were artists. And then from there, you know, there became women that once they became uh, educated, they uh, specialized in doing research or in some cases teaching or both. And then um, a little bit later, there were, um, well, actually quite a bit later in the 1970s, um there were women that became, were hired for being uh, outreach educators, right? So they would work at trying to get, this was back when, you know, there was these debates about um, creationism uh, and evolution uh, and that sort of thing. And that, so paleontology kind of was the science that really addressed, you know, evolution. And so there were more, museums began hiring outreach educators to, uh, tell the public about the importance and the significance of evolution and paleontology, so that er, though that sort of specialization developed, you know, rather late as we became more and more interested in, you know, the public understanding of evolution. But along the way, there were also, um, you know, as these fossils were collected, let's say the 18th century, more is when this became uh, popular there were women that were in charge of curating collections of fossils. And so, you know, the role of curators uh, was another uh, opportunity for women uh, to be involved in the field. So you had research, teaching, um, curation, you know, outreach educators, all of these um, sort of sub-disciplines within the field.
2: I I think to me, this is also... uh... An, an aspect of the book that I really appreciated because when we think about paleontology in general, we have mainly the idea of paleontologists going out in the field. Maybe some people might also think about what goes on uh, in laboratories after uh, fossils are being collected. Uh, but they're usually, there are rarely this sense that there's actually a whole universe of different kinds of professions that are contributing to communicating the knowledge to the public preparing the fossils themselves as specimens. And so there are all these um, supporting roles. It's an expression that you use in your book as well, uh, like technicians, educators, managers of collections, et cetera, and paleo artists as well. So what, what I thought very interesting is that by, by taking this approach of asking what, what was and what has been, sorry, and what is the contribution of women in vertebrate paleontology, It helps us discover a whole universe of connected professions around vertebrate paleontology. So, Yeah, it's it's
1: very diverse. There's many different areas of interest. And that was a thing we, in the beginning, I was really going to, uh, I had thought we would focus on researchers, you know, women in in the field that were, were focused on different research questions. And then it became very clear that if we really wanted a, com- a more complete picture of the contributions of these women, we needed to look at uh, some of these other supporting roles, as you say, as artists or preparators or outreach educators, and so forth. And there, we really were able to, um, you know, uncover quite a lot of um, of other women in that way.
2: Has this Has uh, this process? Uh, you, you mentioned that you at first you thought you were going to. Focus on on researchers only, but uh, has this process changed your own perception of, of your field? Uh, I mean, I, I know that uh, you already had quite a extended experience, but uh, has this historical research also helped you and your and some of your colleagues, maybe that were involved, change their their perspective of their field in general? Yeah,
1: it just it just adds a richness to it that I wasn't as aware of. I will say, I mean, of course, when you go to the meetings and you see, you know, we have a um, an artist group or preparator group, and so forth. So I knew that there were these other areas, but I hadn't really explored um, the, the some of the um, some of these occupations that that have really are instrumental. You know, obviously, you don't have um, you can't really write a paper about a, a specimen if it's not been well prepared or well illustrated. So all of these, you know, really, they work hand in hand. These artists and preparators work hand in hand with the researchers to bring um, to bring the specimens to life. Really,
2: I, I think the the book also. When, when, uh, one question I had is, obviously, you mentioned that the book very. It's very much written for uh, for any kind of audience because it also provides a, a, an understanding. It, it has an introduction explaining just the, the history of the field in general, what it entails. So it's very much geared also toward a, a general public audience. But I feel like there is also a very specific goal behind this book, very practical, which is to, uh, to educate, I feel, also the paleontological community in, in particular. And I feel there's also passages in the book that are directly addressed to uh, women uh, preparing or starting uh, a career in uh, the field of vertebrate paleontology. So what was your targeted audience uh, when you were preparing the book? Who did you um, hope the book would, would touch?
1: Yeah, I guess future generations that were interested not just in vertebrate paleontology per se, interested in science in general because many of the challenges that women have encountered and overcome um it's not just they're not unique to uh to vertebrate paleontology right other women in science have you know there's issues about uh, going out into the field um you know harassment issues pay equity issues all of these sorts of things have confronted um lots of different scientific disciplines, not just vertebrate paleontology. So I guess I feel like if you know more about your history uh, and you, you can share experiences, um, it puts you in better stead for, um, you know, when, when you encounter this, you realize that others have gone through some of these same uh, uh, challenges and have overcome them and gone on to, you know to persist and to do really great work in the field. It's not like you're all alone. The society itself has now become very welcoming and encourages um, the work of younger scientists. And so it's a very um, it's very worthwhile endeavor. Do
2: you, Do you feel uh, like the, the the paleontological community in general is is seeking these new, uh, these new history of uh, of its own discipline, uh, right? Because there's already a very entrenched tradition of, uh, of, of as we mentioned, a very uh, tradition of how this field came about yeah. and its different and its different heroes. Uh, um, but do you feel like there's has been a good reception of those new yes, narratives?
1: Very much so, and there also have been other books that have come out that. Um, are, are geared more toward uh, younger girls, getting them interested in science and, in particular, invertebrate paleontology. So they're written, you know, more like a graphic novel type of book. Um, so again, it's it's uh, appealing to uh, g- young girls and women at, at various ages to try to be as encouraging as possible about um, the field.
2: I see. Did you, did you encounter uh, what what kind of st- I mean, there's so many stories in that book, and I think that's that really is the beauty of it every time you could just open a page at you know at any page of the book and just uh, read uh, one or two biographies and and really be blown away sometimes by uh, the kind of uh, difficulties that some of these women uh, uh, manage to go through, or just their imagination or ingenuity as well um, in contributing to the field. Uh, it, it, are there maybe one or two stories that particularly you know uh, struck you when you uncovered them?
1: Uh, well, one was a Polish scientist by the name of Sofia Kielan-Jaworowska, and um, she was living in, in Poland at the time of the Nazi regime. So when she was studying, she was not studying in school because the Nazis had taken over the town that she was in, uh, which she was living in in Poland. And she and a few others were meeting sort of in secret at at different apartments. And, um, years later, um, she went on to lead do very extensive field work in Mongolia and lead these, uh, joint expeditions, uh, for research in the Gobi desert and make lots of wonderful discoveries of dinosaurs and mammals and things. And so she had, you know, this, this whole very difficult childhood, and background where she was trying to get, you know, really to get training in the field and had to do it, you know, under a under a lot of uh, stress, really. So that's one story.
2: That's, yeah, I, I think, yeah, and it tells a lot about the book itself, I think, because uh, these stories are not just for uh, uh feeling I would say feeling gaps in our in our history of vertebrate paleontology but they're also kind of little inspirational vignettes uh for uh for maybe the 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 reader uh who is encountering uh you know maybe difficulties or or, or trouble in accessing a career in vertebrate paleontology uh could, could you make another I'll, t- I'll yeah. tell
1: you one more another one is um of a scientist who uh is in um South Africa Anyusa Sinchami uh, Tehran, and she explains that, you know, being a woman was not nearly as difficult as trying to do field work in South Africa. She had great difficulty and she couldn't uh, ride certain buses. She couldn't go to her field area because of apartheid at that time in the 70s. And so, um, you know, you read about all these, it, it sort of makes it hopefully what, I, what we want to women to get out of this is like, you know, despite all of these challenges, um, these women persisted and managed to continue in the field. And I, one of the things is at the end of the book, we provide some um, recommendations for things, you know, when you encounter obstacles, how do you get around them? And how do you make sure that you have a, you know, somebody tells you you can't do it and you really are passionate about um, going into this field and you really want to do it. You have to find yourself, uh, surround yourself with people that are encouraging you, not people that are negative, telling you you shouldn't be doing this. So it's, you know, it was, we were also able to get into that part of the, the book of wealth we to encourage people to pursue it as a, as a field of science.
0: slash nbn50 to get 50% off.
2: There, yeah, I, I thought the book in this sense was extremely uh, generous, obviously. Uh, once again, not just in terms of uh, new historical information, but also in advice. Uh, and I think there's a, a very beautiful feature of the book that I, I particularly like, is uh, are all these quotes uh, or, and answers to questions from, uh, from current uh, women in, in, in the field. Um, could you maybe tell us a bit more you, you mentioned already that you, you interviewed um uh, about 18 or more uh, women um can you maybe tell us a bit how this um, th- this process of of getting these interviews done went through what kind of um maybe uh reception you got from uh the people you you, you interviewed right
1: well we asked them about their own experiences and uh, a number of women of course are are married and you know how did you deal with with leaving your kids and going into the field and um, several of the women, um, Jalen and at Colorado Museum and um, Christy Curry Rogers uh, at McAllister University in Minnesota, both of them have had children, uh, small children, um, and they did extensive field work and they finally just decided it made a lot of sense to just bring their kids into the field. And at least that way, their graduate students could see that they could still, you know, work um, and have their children uh, nearby and, you know, they could be successful. They didn't need to worry about, you know, putting, farming their children out somewhere. So, and I think as they, as they both said in the interview, that it was um, very, very um, rewarding to, to their graduate students to actually see that they could be successful um, and have their, have their kids in the field as well.
2: So, so yeah, I think what, one of the main difficulties obviously is, uh, is, is, is family, the, the work, uh, for, for, for a very long time. And even still today, uh, w- women have been, uh, usually forced out of their, of their career because of motherhood. uh. So there's been this idea that there's a sort of incompatibility between a scientific career and uh, and becoming a mother. Um, so, right. so this, incompatible, is, this is yes. yeah, this is one of the main one of the main challenges. But what are could you give us maybe an, an idea of what kind of other specific challenges women are still confronted with? In, well, I'll tell you uh, I, this is a
1: personal story. My own uh, entry into the field. This was back. Um, I was a graduate student at Berkeley. And I went to Berkeley. I had a background in geology. I was well acquainted with field work. And when I got to Berkeley, my I found out that my advisor did not take women in the field. So that was kind of a a big blow. And I thought, well, why, why am I going to continue this? I can't go and collect fossils. And there was another. You know, this is where you learn a lot from your fellow graduate students. One of my fellow students that was in the la- same lab I was in just suggested that maybe. Um, since I wasn't going to be able to go into the field, maybe I should work with a collection. And so that kind of sent me off in another direction entirely, where I was working with material that had already been collected in museums. And that's, I I later went into the field, you know, years later. But um, at that point, I had to make a decision. Uh, Since I'd come to graduate school, if I wasn't going to be allowed to collect the fossils, I was going to have to work with material that was already collected. Uh, And so I actually went down to South America, worked at several collections, on material in collections in Argentina. And, but it it really changed the whole course of my career uh, because from then on, I really focused on uh, material that had already been collected. I didn't do uh, collections because of this experience that I had where my advisor, um, you know, just didn't take women in the field. Why did he, I always often get asked, well, why didn't he take women in the field? I think he thought they were just going to be, you know, uh, there would possibly be a distraction, too difficult to deal with us and, you know, take us out to the field. We have different, I guess they thought just would be a problem. It wouldn't work out.
2: So, so, so these, yeah. So these, these reasons weren't even explicit. Right. No this is this this is very interesting to 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 also and i think this is why the the book to me had this uh very interesting aspect of mentoring i feel like this i I, at least while reading the book it felt it felt like a like a book that was meant to also mentor uh future future sharing experiences
1: you tell you know you tell your colleagues and other women that yes it is possible to be successful these are just you know temporary roadblocks that you encounter, individuals ideas that maybe you can't do something for whatever reason and you have you can overcome those. And then now there are you know that sort of thing wouldn't really wouldn't be an issue. although there are women in other fields of science you maybe have read about the women that um, were doing research in Antarctica and have had various um, harassment issues uh, that have developed. And so it's still, you know, it still can be a challenge to go into the field.
2: Um, one, uh, one other aspect of the book that I want to talk about a little, um, is, and I really appreciated it because it reminds me of actually a project that you both mentioned in the book, uh, which is the bearded lady project, uh, which is a, a, uh, projects involving, uh, the photographs of, of women in paleontology in the field and wearing fake beards. And it was sort of a commentary on, on, uh, the, the gender biases in, in, in the field that have existed. Uh, but I thought one of the interesting features of the book is, are the, the photographs that you've added in the middle of the volume. And, and, and I thought that was absolutely fantastic because once again, we don't get to see, uh, a lot of, Uh, women in the field, and especially women from the uh, 19th century or or, or early 20th century working in the lab. Uh, And I think there's one, my favorite of these uh, photographs is the one showing uh, Carrie Barbour, who is cleaning out uh, some of the matrix around a beautiful uh, apatosaurus, I think, uh, femur. And I think it's a beautiful picture because the, the bone is so massive. And the work that she's carrying seems both extremely technical, but also physical. Uh, and, and once again, this is the kind of things that we are not used to see. And I think because we don't see these images, it feeds on this uh, idea that any work that is physical, any work that deals with the field is not quote unquote feminine. Uh, so how, how important was it for you to uncover those images and maybe what is one of your favorite? Uh, that well, actually, the that, one that,
1: you mentioned is really quite. She uh, Carrie Barber uh, was an, uh, a paleontologist in Nebraska, and she was associated with the university and with the museum for many years in the early 1900s. And she also did a lot of field collecting with her brother, who was a well-known paleontologist. Um, so, I mean, I just uncovering those. I mean, there were there were just we've you know you try to get photographs and things of of women. Um, you know, cleaning, preparing fossils, drawing specimens, that kind of thing. And in some cases, we, we could find, you know, great photographs, like you mentioned, and newspaper articles, that kind of thing. Um, but there still are a lot that are probably that we, you know, haven't uncovered that are in, you know, like I said, smaller uh, printing places and things
2: yeah and this leads me to to my to my final question really because um obviously I feel like unco- uncovering the the history of all these these women in vertebrate paleontology seems like a never-ending project because there there's always going to be uh, there's always going to be a woman that uh, we are still not aware of the contribution because she wasn't named as an author for pa- for papers for example or was working in the shadow of an uncle or a brother or a father. Uh, so, uh, what what is obviously the book marks a very important milestone, I think, in this in this research. But what is the next step uh, for you, maybe in Susan Turner, in in this project? Uh, what do you what what are you particularly looking forward to?
1: Well, I'd like to uh, perhaps write um, more extended. Uh, biographies of just a few women uh, and maybe organize it a little bit differently, maybe organize it according to subfield of paleontology, like research and teaching, and just take a few, uh, a few women and delve into their histories a little bit more. Um, The other thing I think is really important is if we're going to be able to really reach out to younger generations, I think we need to do more with podcasts perhaps and interviewing um, because really that's you know the written word is important but there are also lots of other media that are um that others especially social media that younger generations look at and i think these these interviews could have really lasting um uh, importance
2: yeah, I think, and I think that's uh, that, that's one of the the feature of the book as well is that uh, I mean we, we we talked about obviously the the, the the photographs, but there's also a very interesting uh, uh, um, approach, uh, data driven approach. I think uh, how, how important maybe if we can end on this. How important was it for you to uh, not just have this biographical uh, approach to the contribution of these women, but really also provide the data.
1: Well, that, that was very important, uh, but that's the part that, um, you know, we we don't, much of the data was really, came from the Society of Vertebrate Paleontology, from the membership records and things. And so we we have a pretty good handle on what happened here um, within that society. But societies in other countries, uh, for example, we didn't have um, access to to. Their data. There are many. They were, you know, in terms of looking at number of women and the contributions, they were smaller numbers of women. But we couldn't really, you know, we didn't have that data available. The Society of Vertebrate Paleontology is a, uh, as I said, the largest organization of vertebrate paleontologists. It is an international organization, but still within, as we point out in the beginning of the book, there are lots of um, other. Uh, societies that are regional or national to a particular country. So we didn't, and they're much smaller. So we didn't have, we weren't really able to add that data in. So it was, you know, hopefully we even, you know, by publishing our book and publishing information about when women got into, interested in various uh, groups, um, hopefully we we can, that'll encourage other societies to collect that data as well. And to share
2: it. Well, th- thank you so much for for, for having shared all, all of these insights on the book. And I'm really looking forward to uh, future material connected to the book, like uh, podcast eventually, or yeah. or other yeah, media. What
1: other directions? You know, what other different kinds of media we could bring to the bring to the fore?
2: No, I think I think this would be fantastic. And I think the book, once again, like could provide this uh, this foundation for then future projects. That would that would appeal to to a diverse audience. But again, uh, th- thank you so much, uh, Professor, for for having joined me today.
1: You're welcome. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.